0: Welcome, you're listening to Value Add with Lars Coburn, bringing conversations and reflections that add value to your life. Um, so, New Year's, we often do like New Year's resolutions, so how many people have New Year's resolutions written out? No? No? Okay, alright, alright. So you've wised up over the years, right?
1: (laughs) You're actually, yeah, you're aware
0: of the fact that, um. that too many people set these New Year's resolutions, in, and then one weekend they've all gone away. Yeah, so that's good. That's good. Um, well, so other than New Year's resolutions, because that's actually not what I I have some, but I don't necessarily like I want to run a marathon again. So like, I got I got some work to do. Um, Last week, since I wasn't here, I ran 12 miles. So I mean, that's pretty good. That's almost half of a marathon. So I'm almost there. But um, there's some exciting things I think to look forward to in 2021. So I wanted to focus a little bit on the exciting parts of it. So what's what's something exciting that you're wait, looking forward to in 2021? Yeah. My niece is having her second baby. Okay. And this month, sometime. Oh, in January. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, so. Great. Nice. <laughs> Yeah, we're we're waiting on our second in February, so that's exciting. That's exciting. Anybody else? What's what's trapping, something exciting? Back traveling on the road again like we're doing. Okay. Where are you guys going to go? Anywhere. Anywhere. All right. <laughs> Well, now would be the perfect time to go to Arizona. My parents are just down there right now. How so. long is it going to go through California? There you go. There you go. They went through Reno, so. And my sister's moving down here. Okay, your sister's moving. Wow! So there's some exciting things happening. Yeah. Yeah. How about on this side of the room, anybody? Oh, I'm gonna try get a motorcycle. Oh boy. The the rest of us are not so excited about the new motorcyclist on the road. No. Okay. Yeah, Lenny. that's good that's good yeah so i hear a lot of good things in there healing and all those kind of things yeah we're we're looking for anticipating if you will the end of coronavirus um and i i've heard it described that it's not that we're going to get rid of it but um we're going to move into normal hopefully and whatever that looks like with the the vaccines or whatever but I also feel like the next time a pandemic hits we'll be a little more prepared for what uh, it is Um, we've learned a lot of things they've got now tracking things where if you're in a area you can get notified that you might have been exposed or something like that and I said well, it's a little late for you to be coming up with all this new technology to help us as we're hopefully going to be out of coronavirus. But as we think about managing the next pandemic or the next kind of thing like this, um, maybe we'll be a little more prepared uh, emotionally, uh, if not uh, actually physically to care for people. But uh, as I mentioned, we're entering the, the the home stretch, if you will, the last month, because um, our daughter is supposed to be born on the 9th. Um, just a month away, and I've been thinking a lot about names. Uh, something I never thought of before, because we've been using the name for our daughter. Um, so you know, we to- point at the baby's at the belly uh, uh, and say to our, our daughter, uh, who's two, try and say it's it's Sister Sloan in mommy's belly. It's the baby is right there. It's Sister Sloan, and we try and use the name over and over again. And um, her middle name is Kara. And so, you know, I've been trying to write letters, even to Janelle, sometimes around Christmas we'll do that, and I'll say and use Sloan's name, just to kind of be more connected, because otherwise it feels like all I see is blurry ultrasound pictures, and I see a kick here and there, but I'm not as connected to her as I am to our two-year-old who's running around grabbing for our attention. I felt much more connected to the, our first baby in the womb, because there was no baby out of the womb taking all of my attention. There, there was a lot more time to sit and read to the belly and do different things. Anyway, so it's been helpful to use this name. Um, and we, you know, the first names for our, our chi- children were just kind of ones we liked. You know, we just liked the sound of Ash as a nickname. So Ashland was the, the name that we went with uh, my uh, both- of us have grandmothers on our families that were Evelyn's, and so Ashlyn kind of combined those two things together. So that there was some significance to it. Uh, Sloan actually was a little less significant in the fact that there was some characters in a TV show that we really liked, and her name was Sloan, and so we just liked the name Sloan. But the middle names were were selected intentionally. Uh, each middle name for our, our daughters had significance. So the first daughter... Um, her name is Ashlyn Sela, and Sela is the Hebrew for breath or pause. So, if you're like me and you have um, a Bible that has kind of the the Psalms in poetic form on the on the margins, there will be the word Sela. I think I'm trying to remember which one um, has it, but there's several different Psalms, and they'll just have it in the the kind of margins um, of these different Psalms. And so it's it's a significant Hebrew word. Um, that just is trying to say, take a breath, pause. And she came into our life really as a breath of fresh air, a moment um, to, to remind us that we needed to take a breath and enjoy life. And um, our second baby is coming into the world during a time when I read a lot of uh, spiritual writer Henry Nowen's work, and he talks about how we're um, God's beloved and the idea that we need to like, just kind of climb up into... Uh, God's lap as, as a child climbs into a daddy's lap and, and, um, and experience the, the loving hug of our, of our loving God. And so Cara is Latin for beloved. And, um, so I'm, I'm hopeful that as she gets older and as we grow as a family, we'll be reminded that our identity should be in being the belovedness, uh, in our belovedness rather than in the things that we do that are successful or not. And as I was uh, reflecting on the Christmas story, and that's why I wasn't with you guys uh, last week, was because I was celebrating Christmas with my family, and we were um, sharing the, the reading stories from uh, Luke, and and as we read again of Jesus being born, it's significant that he has named Jesus. Um, and I don't know if you knew this, but the in, if you paid attention in the Christmas story, it even tells us that His name is to be Jesus because that means the Lord saves. Is anybody of you paying attention to that this year especially? It's like Jesus' name means something significant. It's a a Greek name, um, Jesus, but in Hebrew it's Yahshua, and that means the Lord saves. Um, And so I was thinking about as we go into a new year, um, what would it look like to hold the name of Jesus close to us, to let the name of Jesus Um, kind of be a a way to orient ourselves towards not just our New Year's resolutions, but our anticipation, our excitement in uh, waiting for these good things to happen, hopefully really, really good things, Um, but also some hard things may happen, and we we need to uh, orient ourselves to to face the battles as well as the blessings, if you will. So um, today I want to read a story about uh, the, this guy who shared Jesus' name, Joshua, and it's uh, probably likely uh, a story that would have been important to Jesus' parents, and when they named Jesus Yahshua, they would have thought of the character Yahshua, Joshua, uh, who led the people around uh, the city of Jericho, and uh, the walls came tumbling down, and they won these great battles, and Joshua is the leader who leads the people into the promised land, the land uh, that God had promised to them. So if you have a Bible, let's open up to Joshua chapter 4 and read a story that happens just before the one that we're most familiar with, which is the story of the Jericho uh, walls coming down. So if you're familiar with um, the story of Israel, eh, there's a time where they're in uh, slavery in Egypt and God calls Uh, out to a man named Moses to say go and set my people free go uh, bring them out to worship me and so he goes and he has these battles with Pharaoh and then after that the people wander in the wilderness for 40 years because they were supposed to get into the promised land but something went amiss and so Moses then dies actually in the wilderness and now there needs to be a new leader so let's read about this story uh, in Joshua chapter 4 verse 1. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you, and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and he said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan, Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of Israel, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord when it crossed the Jordan, and the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, According to the number of the tribes of Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua, and they carried them over with them to their camp, where they put them down, Joshua set up the twelve stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. Now the priests who carried the Ark remained standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything the Lord had commanded Joshua was done by the people, just as Moses had directed Joshua." The people hurried over, and as soon as all of them had crossed the Ark of the Lord and the priests came to the other side while the people watched. The men of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over ready for battle in front of the Israelites as Moses had directed them. About 40,000 armed for battle crossed over before the Lord to the plains of Jericho for war. That day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him all of his days of his life, just as they had stood in awe of Moses. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant of uh, Law to come up out of Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, Come out of the Jordan. And the priests came up out of, the water, out of the river carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. No sooner had their feet set on dry ground than the waters of the Jordan returned to the place, and it ran at flood stage as before. On the tenth day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. So uh, it's a fascinating story. It's one that's not as um, familiar, maybe. But it's the story where Joshua sets up, uh, or where God sets up Joshua as a leader. If you read the first few chapters of Joshua, um, he continually is, is told by the Lord, Be strong and courageous. Um, don't be afraid, for I am with you. And so uh, Moses passes away, and Joshua's a little bit... Um, unsure of what to do. He knows that they need to go into the promised land and he needs to lead the people, but the people are not so sure that they have a leader anymore because Moses has died. And so we just automatically think, oh, it's a done deal. Joshua is going to be the leader, but it's important that the people see Joshua as a leader. And so this story is one where Joshua goes out to the people and asks them, please uh purify yourselves get yourselves ready and God is going to show up and take care of you. And so the people actually respond. They listen to Joshua and this is in chapter 2. Um and then uh in chapter 3 they they come to the river and Joshua says God's going to help you across this river. And if if you've ever done the Oregon Trail game, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but um I played it on the computer when I was little and I always died fording a river. Uh, for some reason, it was, it was terrible. Or I died of dysentery. That was my, my least favorite. But um, I, I've never thought about, like, crossing a river, really. That's not something that's significant to me, because there's bridges for my cars to drive over. But if you think about this, there's 600,000, maybe 2 million people, depending on who you read, that are wandering around in this desert, and they're coming across this river. It's not that easy to ford a river especially one that's at flood stage, as we read about in chapter 4. And so um, it's, you know, some of the people would have got across, some of the livestock would have got across, but some of them would have died. Some of them would have been difficult. It would have been a, a point of a, a kind of a, a cramping of their style where they wouldn't have been able to go up to war. And so God comes and shows up in this very Exodus-like, um, parting of the Red Sea, very similar story to confirm Joshua as the leader. So the people obey and God does indeed show up. And it says that the Ark of the Covenant, and if you um, have watched the Raiders of the Lost Ark, um, Indiana Jones, you might know what this Ark was, but it's really just a container. It was a, a container that contained different um, things. It had a, a staff in it that had budded. Um, it was Aaron's staff when he did all the miracles in Egypt. It had the Ten Commandments that Moses uh, inscribed that from the very words of God on the mountain. It had the manna in it, uh, which was the bread that was like, What is this bread? Is, is this bread that fell from heaven and fed them while they were wandering in the desert? Um, it had a few other things, but um, this container was built to kind of be a symbol of the divine presence of God with the people. And so as they're traveling, this container goes with them. It, it, it had a, a house, a tent the, called the tabernacle, and that's where Moses would go in and meet with God. He would meet with the divine presence, and Joshua did also. He spent time in this tabernacle, this tent of meeting. And so the Ark of the Covenant goes into the river, and when they, the priests are carrying it, that's when the river parts and the people are able to go in. And then Joshua commands the people, he wants the people to remember this moment when God shows up, so he has them pick up these stones. Now, I didn't bring any stones today, but I was, I was thinking about um, just kind of the, the boulders or the rocks. You know, I imagine kind of like a strong man picking, picking the strongest guy from every tribe and saying, Go get this big boulder of a rock, right? And, uh, and then they built this kind of tower, if you will, or this memorial. Um, and, uh, and if you know, like stone structures, I mean, if you've seen, um, on the history channel, different things about castles in Europe, um, that stand the test of time, there are stones that are so old. I've been to Stonehenge one time when we were visiting the UK and it's fascinating, these monstrous stones that have been there for so long, people have no idea how they got there and they're in this shape. And we wonder to ourselves, why are these stones here? Right. That's the biggest question around Stonehenge. What what is the significance of the shape and the size of the stones and why are they here? And so Joshua says, you're going to put these stones along this river. And when your children ask, why are these stones here? You're going to tell them God showed up. This is what happened. The people were crossing over the Jordan and God came and made it a way for them they're a reminder for future generations of when god showed up in their lives because i think some of us um forget that there's there are times where god doesn't show up in every generation there's significant periods of time between um for for joshua especially he would have been a very young young man young boy when they crossed over the red sea and most of his peers in fact it The Bible tells us all of his peers died in the desert, in the wilderness. And so it's only the children now who are seeing God show up crossing this river. So for these children who were raised in the wilderness, not experiencing God showing up in a great way like he did when uh, they crossed over the Red Sea, this is their Red Sea moment. And they're setting up these rocks, these memorials for future generations. And in fact, if you read in verse nine, the person who is um, who's writing this down, the scribe, if you will, the person who's who's giving us this account, it says that the stones are still there to this day. And so he's not writing as a necessarily an eyewitness. He's saying, you know, those stones down there. This is the story about where they came from. This is why they're there. And. Um, And so we need to tell some stories, I think, of when God has shown up in our lives so that generations in the future can remember and be reminded of it. That's why we read scripture, because it tells us the stories of how God has shown up in the past. Um, So I I was thinking about this ark because it's significant in the story. It's what uh, symbolizes God's presence with the people. But Jesus actually comes and, and says it's no longer this temple or this ark, uh, but it's actually that you become the presence, the, the container, if you will, for the divine presence. In John, Jesus talks a lot about uh, how the Holy Spirit is going to come and God is going to make his home in our heart. right? And so as we commit our lives to Christ, we then become the dwelling place of God on earth. And we're built together as a church. That's the, the idea is the church now, not this building, but the people are the temple, are the container for the divine presence in this world. And we witness to God being present as we live together and allow Jesus to live with us. So I brought a container um, and I just thought it would be, be good to kind of think of our life as a container, if you will. So, I've got some things in the container, so I need you to shout out what you see in the container. What are some things that are in this container? There's an apple, so there's food in the container. We need to fill our lives with food. Okay, what else is in the container? Huh? A hammer, a tool. There's a tool, yeah, there are tools in our life. Um, There are a lot of different tools uh, that we we get. Sometimes it's an education, sometimes it's um, cars and technology, you know, there's... There's actual tools that we need, um, kitchen tools to, to cook and all those kind of things. Yeah, what else do you see in here? There's a book, yeah, so learning, education. We're learning here together as we read the scripture. We're learning about what it means to be uh, followers of Jesus. Yeah, what else do you see in here? Uh, let's see. I think there's a golf ball in here. You can't really see. Uh, yeah, so hobbies. We fill our life with hobbies, right? Yeah. Um, There's a there's a toothbrush in here. It's a baby toothbrush. But um, anyway, it's hygiene, right? Our health, our health matters. We fill a lot of our life with concern over our health and caring for our bodies. There's space. Yeah, we need we need more space in here. Yes, this is almost too full already. Yeah. Um, Yeah, keys are are my house and and different things like that. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I don't want to leave that here. But so as I think about um, your life as a container, what are the things that you're putting in your life? What are the things that are worth remembering, if you will? Because your life is not, it's not the possessions that you have, but what you do and what you focus on does become your life, right? You are not your possessions, but because you have possessions, you kind of become your possessions, you spend a lot of time managing your house and caring for your health. And all these things become what your life is about. And so I think it does beg the question as we begin this new year, what are the things that you're putting into your life? What's in your container? The, the, the ark, if you will, that's going along with you. And I wonder if as we think of this story, the Israelites are told to take these stones to remind them of when God showed up in their life, what if we were to fill our container with stones that reminded us of how God has shown up? Maybe it's filling it with stories and and books and learning about how God has shown up in the past. Maybe it's learning our own family stories and relationships with loved ones who can tell us those stories uh, of when God has shown up in their life and in our family history even. What if it's hobbies and activities like going to church and like praying and spending time uh, caring and serving other people that became stones that reminded us of who God is in our life? Um, So I didn't bring um, stone, physical stones, but I did bring a couple suggestions. Um, One of them is about setting aside and thinking about how mealtime, so apples represent food. We fill a lot of our time with food, and I, you know, there's a lot of New Year's resolutions about eating healthier, not eating the snickerdoodle popcorn, but it is smart pop or whatever. Yeah, it's popcorn. No, I'm just, I, I'm not going to tell you to eat a different diet today. Um, there are a lot of people trying to sell you on on some meal plans. What I'm thinking is, what if you think about the meal times, the amount of time that you spend eating? And rather than just rushing through that mealtime, what if one meal a week was set aside to be a meal where you were real intentional with it, where it became a stone reminding you of how God has shown up in your week this week? And so we just do a simple practice around our uh, family mealtime where we call it the holy highs and lows. And one meal a week, we just share um, a high of that week and a low from that week. And typically, that high is kind of something we're grateful for, something, some moment when we notice God being present with us. Um, another way that we practice this in my home uh, is not necessarily around a mealtime, but sometimes it's around a mealtime, is we take a jar like this. This is the one that I used to have at my work. Um, and we would take little notes and we would write something we're thankful for in it. And our family practices, uh, the one that we have at home, is every year, at the end of the year, we read all of those notes. So on New Year's Day, we spent about 10, 15 minutes um, just simply opening and reading through these little notes about things like um, how Ashlyn is doing so great at camp. And this was a, a reminder from, uh, actually this, this one, this joy jar was at my work before COVID. So um, it's, it's been a while since I've opened that joy jar, but it was fun to read and be reminded of the times that God had showed up in our life Uh, in a really tangible way, the things that we were really grateful for in our life. And so we spend a lot of time filling our days in our life with food and with eating. What if one of those was an opportunity to be grateful um, and and think about our week and recognize how God has showed up in the week? So a a second stone that is part of my family, I actually have a list of 12 on this set of notes, but I'm just sharing two with you today, um, is around technology, So you mentioned getting some things on Facebook. That was a really sweet thing earlier you read. Um, These things are wonderful tools. Um, Facebook, TV, news, cell phones, computers. Um, They're all really helpful tools, but they can also be um, things that I think distract us from God, things that are not on an arrow taking us towards God, but in fact um, they're at least not helpful a lot of the time and one of the ways that we have tried to tame um, the technology in our life is to create healthy limits um, around sleeping so uh, the the phone for us um, has a bedtime before we do and it has it wakes up after we do so rather than it being my alarm clock and charging next to my bed the phone charges in the kitchen and, um, or for me in the front room now, and, um, and I go to bed before, or I, it goes to bed before I do, and I wake up with a real alarm clock um, rather than with my phone and scroll over and look at the news or look at my email or um, wonder if I got any new notifications or anything like that. I think the same thing could be true about TV. I've heard it described this way is that all these things are kind of glowing rectangles, and it would be really helpful for us to kind of press the glowing rectangles to the exterior parts or the margins of our home. So rather than the TV being in the center of our home uh, or in our bedroom, these things, are they're, they're difficult to get to. So for us, for a while, our TV was in the garage um, in our apartment in L.A. And so it wasn't the most comfortable place to go watch TV. But it wasn't in the center of our home. So our living room was where we played with our daughter and where we had uh, conversations with people and we ate good food. Um, And so likewise, we're trying to think of ways in which the the glowing rectangles, the technology in our life are not um, distractions, but the ways in which we do these healthy limits can actually be a stone that reminds us of God's presence with us. So rather than having the technology in the center, we have other things that draw us together um, and draw us closer to God. So I use candles a lot of times when I'm doing devotionals rather than um, using my phone to read. I use a hard Bible, um, these kind of things. So I I think uh, as you think about the technology in your life, what might it look like to help create some healthy limits and those boundaries, if you will, became reminders uh, of God with you. And they actually would witness to people in your life about how you're living differently and healthy. And if you want more on why it's important to kind of put some limits on that, I encourage you to look up uh, the Netflix documentary, uh, The Social Dilemma, um, or uh, there's, a, there's a website called Time Well Spent, um, and that's, that's a really good one as well. Uh, so back to the story of the crossing of the Jordan, it's, it's much like the Exodus story when God calls the people to follow a leader. He, he raises up Moses and he calls them to follow him. And Jesus was talking um, to his followers one day and he said, who do the people say that I am? And uh, they say, well, we, some people say you're Elijah. Um, some people say you're John the Baptist back from the dead because John the Baptist had been killed. And uh, Jesus then looks at them and says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You're the Messiah. You're God's anointed. You're the leader, just like they would have understood Moses to have been. You're the one who is God's uh, mouthpiece. You're the one speaking the words of God. And so uh, Jesus uh, says, you are, he changes name, Simon's name. So this is Peter, um, we know as his name, but he actually, his name before that was Simon. And so it's like this name change happens right here. And Cephas, or Peter, means rock. And so it's interesting that Jesus says, upon this rock, upon this new confession, upon this stone, if you will, I'm going to build my church. So what if in your life you made confessing that Jesus is your Lord and Savior? What if you made that good confession like Peter did, that you are the Christ, the the anointed leader, the one I need to follow? What if you made that a stone in your life? And um, I don't mean that you just wake up in the morning and you say a little mantra, you know, Jesus saved, Jesus saved, Jesus saved. That can be helpful to some people. I, I find that to be helpful even in my life. But I think it's deeper than that. I think it's more about our allegiance, where our heart is, you see, the people needed to take some tangible action in Joshua chapter 3. Um, he told them in verse 5, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things for you. And I think we often miss consecration. We miss a setting our life apart. We miss obediently following Jesus. And so I wonder if um, the stone that we need in our life, like the stones that Joshua piled up to remind them, is that we need to kind of build our life upon this, uh, this proclamation that we're not the one in control of our life, that it's a new year and I have all these expectations for what's going to happen, but I'm not the one driving the ship. I'm not the leader of my own life. I'm not the one setting the direction. That actually for me to say that Jesus saves is not just that Jesus rescues me from bad things that happen in the world, but actually Jesus rescues me from me. That Jesus rescues me from my plans and my dreams and builds a life of being with God. You see, the amazing things God wants to do in our life are not always the amazing things I want God to do in my life. And so Jesus um, tells some some stories about people who, who uh, were like this. He, he tells a story about a man who uh, built his house upon the sand. And when the storms of life came, the rivers overflowed. And I imagine it would be similar to this area as well, if the rivers rise anymore, um, that some houses here are not built as well. And so when that storm comes, those houses wash away. But Jesus says, but if you build your house upon the rock, if you have a good foundation, which I also know there's some houses around here, that had some pretty smart people and they built some really smart foundations. And they say, when those storms come, when that flood comes, those houses are not going to float away. Those houses are going to survive the floods. And it's not going to be necessarily that it's the big house on the hill or the Maserati in the driveway or something like that. It's not the dreams that we have, but it's. It's a life that's built upon the rock, the stone, the remembrance that it's not our way, it's Jesus' way. It's Jesus, the one who saves. And so Jesus ends that story about the two houses, the house built on the sand and the house built on the rock, by saying, the one who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a man who builds his house upon the rock. And when the storms of life come, and they do come pouring suddenly, What we really want is a house that's built upon that rock. So I wonder um, that phrase there, hear these words of mine and put them into practice. Uh, What would it look like for 2021 to be the year, not where we do a bunch of New Year's resolutions, not just a one where we uh, wait for, you know, vaccines and for the world to go back to normal, but be a year where we actually put into practice the things that we hear Jesus saying to our hearts where we actually build our life upon the rock, where we fill our container, our life, with things that point us and that are practices uh, that follow Jesus. So we're not just reading about Jesus. We're not just hearing about Jesus. We're living Jesus. We're putting it into practice. And so I think the question was, will you pick up your stone? Will you declare that Jesus is the leader, the anointed one, the son of the living God, who not only Saves you from evil outside, but saves you from the evil within you as well. And so if so, Jesus invites you not just to hear his words, but to put them into practice in 2021. And so I think uh, it's a great thought just to spend some time this week reflecting on what's in your container and what new things might you practice, might you put into that container Let's pray. God, we are grateful for um, the hope that we have in Jesus, uh, the ways in which you have shown up in the past, the ways that we just celebrated of you coming as a baby and living in a life and dying on the cross. And uh, we thank you for that. We thank you for the ways that you've shown up in uh, the past, in this country even, and uh, have you, how you've protected um, the, the right to worship you freely. Uh, we thank you for the ways you've shown up in our family and uh, our actual families in, in the lives of our grandparents and parents and, and even in our life before uh, this, this time. And God, we struggle sometimes to look back and see uh, your hand, but we, um, we pray that you give us eyes to see how you've shown up even in this last year and with all that's happened. And as we look forward to the new things and exciting things that are to come in 2021, um, help us not to uh, be the ones who are leading the way or or trying to direct our paths, um, but that we would trust you, uh, that we would trust Jesus to be the leader of our lives. Uh, So we thank you for this time, and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to Value Add. For more great conversations and insights, visit valueaddconversations.com.